Welcome back to a new episode, this new podcast I have, Building Blocks, Success on Your Own Terms. Today, I'm delighted to welcome my guest, Peyton Hung, who is from both America and Vietnam. And she has done a few things, right? Started with dental school, moved to being a software developer, and now we're going to look at a lot more. Welcome, how are you? Hi, I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Massively. And we've only met once, right? This yes. is about a year ago, just before Tet. But I really enjoyed, I suppose, learning how somebody can combine travel mm-hmm. and working yes. and also mix different fields. And I believe you're the same age as me, yes. which impresses me because I think, right, if people my age can do stuff like this, mm-hmm. so can I and so can people listening. So I'm delighted to have a more in-depth conversation about you, let's say. Mm-hmm. One thing I always ask the guests is about the early years. So what, sure. what they were like growing up. So like a young Peyton, a young Fung, do you, do you mind telling me a bit more? For sure, for sure. Um, I would say that my upbringing was quite different from other children. Uh, the reason being um, the family that I was born into. So I don't know if you know this, but my parents own um, a couple of um, businesses. So my dad owns a hotel and a restaurant and my, dad, and my mom owns um, two dental offices. And growing up, I was always raised to be like the heir to all of that, right? So I always had to, you know, like be perfect, like be really good in school, like really watch out for what I say, really watch out for my public image, and just overall be a leader. Um, and so I think early childhood years, um, I had a lot of fun, but it was also a lot of learning, like a lot of tutors, hard work all the time. So I think if that's that's what I think of whenever we think about like er- early childhood years. I like this because I'm the opposite almost, where, uh-huh. and I say this respectfully, I had mm-hmm. a very ordinary working class upbringing mm-hmm. to the point where there was no pressure on me and the only pressure came from me, mm-hmm. where I thought, no, I've got to do something, I've got to. Did you ever, I suppose, get any, let's say, pressure in your mind? Was it ever difficult for you or were you able to handle it pretty well? So I think looking back on it now, um, I think it was definitely a lot of pressure on me. And I think to a certain degree, I felt pressured. Um, it was, you know, not easy, um, you know, being a little kid. I think I was like six years old and I had like tutors from like sun up to sundown. Like I wouldn't be done studying until when I was like 10 p.m. Um, so, but I think when you were born into the family and you were born into that kind of lifestyle, it becomes what is expected of you. And to say what is expected of you, it means to say that to you that's like the norm, you know, like you're not, you don't think that you're working too hard or you don't think that it's like too much pressure. This is the norm, this is what you've always known. And so I think me as I was, like, I think I was definitely stressed, but you know, I have never known like a different reality. So it was just one of those things where it's like, yes, it was hard, but yes, I could keep up. And yes, I was just doing that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I find it interesting, like our upbringings obviously shape us. Uh And you can look at somebody who's, let's say, high performing under pressure environments and think, how Mm -hmm. do you do that? But I suppose if you were given the raw materials at that young age and it was, let's say, the norm, then of course it's going to be like that. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I've noticed that too. Whenever I would talk to my friends and they would say things like, oh, that's so hard. Like, how did you do that? And it would always come as a bit of a surprise to me because they would say like oh it's so hard and I would think or they would think like oh you've had to put in a lot of effort and I would always assume that that level of hardness or like that level of effort that you need to put into is like 
the norm like it is what it is to be expected that you must do you know I know I know what you're saying yeah. do you, in terms of let's say a skill set mm-hmm. are there any main traits that came as a result of that such as say resilience or like an appetite to work hard play hard like, <laughs> is there is there anything there that still stands today yeah I mean I think a lot of things right um, I think because I was raised to work hard I was I was raised to like always be the best um, I there's a high tendency to focus on perfection like to just be really really good and never settle for anything less um, which you know that could be both a good thing and a bad thing you know depending on which angle which area of life you're looking into um, the other side of it is obviously you know knowing that the amount of effort that you put into wouldn't betray you you know I've had to work really hard but it also has brought me very far in life and so learning from a young age that X amount of effort when you put in res- uh, produces Y amount of results. It really shows me that whatever it is that you want out of life, if you just work hard enough, you will get it. And so there's a sense of confidence that yes, there are hard things, but I can do hard things, and that I will get the life that I want if I were to do the hard things. I see what you mean. W- with this kind of mantra, it sounds like you have some self assurance, of course, and you're yes. aware of your own abilities. Do you ever, and like not to flip it too much, mm-hmm. is there ever any doubt or any, let's say, insecurities that crop up in this area? Yeah, 100%. I think that um, we all have insecurities, right? We all have fears and doubts, and I think that's just part of what being human is like. I think for me, um, I would always have like fears and doubts whenever I'm making a big decision, you know? And I've made a lot of big decisions always. Um, I think that's, I think I have this like, need this like I guess like thirst for life not to be cringy but it's I want to like live my life to the fullest I'm always going after like big things and like making big decisions and big changes and so before those changes and decisions um, I would always have a lot of like fears and anxiety right because who wouldn't but it's it's about knowing where the fear comes from and knowing whether or not the fear is valid you know Mm -hmm. yeah i I like this idea because i think if you have say conditions like anxiety disorder Uh which i've experienced and i know a lot of people have Uh sometimes the fear is irrational Uh but it's difficult difficult to distinguish because it comes up and you think why am i actually afraid of this and when you actually analyze the fear you think Mm -hmm. this is bullshit or maybe this was inherited or whatever Mm -hmm. how do you let's say distinguish a genuine fear mm-hmm. from the irrational especially when you're making a big decision which we will talk about for later. sure for sure um so i can give you a couple examples of how i determine which fears is something i should listen to and which ones i shouldn't um so two parts so the first part um, one of the big decisions i made which i know we are probably going to talk about later is deciding to switch between dentistry to software engineering right so whenever i was contemplating that decision right like getting into dental school obviously was very difficult both in terms of the effort and the time that was put in as well as um the money that was put in um as you can imagine the whole process cost you at least like three thousand us dollars and like so much time and effort spent volunteering shadowing so it was a very difficult and scary decision to make to say hey i've gotten to I've gotten into dental school, but even though I've spent so much time, effort, and money, this is actually not what I want. I'm going to do something else. 
And so whenever I was making that decision, I was going through the whole like, information gathering process. I was talking to other people in both fields. I was talking to my parents. I was like spending a lot of time with myself. But ultimately, what helped me, I guess, get over the fears is looking into the future. You know, I asked myself, like, let's say 10 years down the road, if I were to fail, what is like the one reason um, that I can think of that I made this decision for that it was still like I would still think it's okay like let me explain on that a little bit more um so my parents live in Vietnam right and if I had gone with the dentistry route I would have maybe be able to see them once per year um which is barely anything you know once per year maybe like two weeks out of the year's max and I think for me that's not enough and so when I made the decision to change the reason is so that I can spend more time with my family, right? Like, I want the freedom to be able to see my parents as often as possible and for as long as I want to. Um, and that reason, I know that if 10 years down the line, I realize that, dang, like, I made the wrong decision, like, I should not have switched, I still would have been okay with it because why I got into it in the first place, which is doing it so I can see my parents more, is a decision that I would never regret, you know? like. I think you can get over your fears by deciding what it is that you are doing it for. Like, what is something that you would not regret? You know, does Absolutely. that make sense? It definitely does. It definitely does. And I'm, that kind of thinking of being comfortable with failure. That's uh-huh. what I'm almost assumption because failure, like it will happen inevitably yes. in whatever pursuit you do, right? But if you can know, right, okay, I might take the risk, but if I fail, I'm okay with it because taking the risk, the reward almost outweighs it. Yes. That's what I'm getting from like what you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I can completely agree that a lot of the times whenever I've taken a risk, mm-hmm. knowing even if I fail, this is sweet, like I'm still gonna either learn something or uh-huh. the reward outweighs it. So I quite like that, I suppose. I don't wanna use the word bold or brave. It's almost like like a natural inclination that I will benefit more from this. Let's just go for it and see. Yes, like, for rather sure. than taking that safety net option that mm-hmm. maybe for you dental, dental school could have provided but wouldn't have been fulfilling. Yes, for sure. I think it also comes down to narrowing what, narrowing down what it is you really want, you know? Um, what it is that really matters. What it, What is going to matter is not just now, not just two years from now, but like five or ten years from now. Um, what is like the most important thing that you will not negotiate upon, you will not give up upon, that you must do anything to achieve. And once you've narrowed, narrowed it down to just those things, it makes it a lot easier to make big life decisions. Massively. And I've got almost two questions on that. Yes. The first one being how you actually go about narrowing it down. Uh-huh. So like, for example, a lot of the time it's quite easy to say, oh, just narrow down what you want, but like, mm-hmm. what do you want? Like, it's a mm-hmm. huge question, right? Yeah, for sure. Like, I know this might be, say, individual to you, or it might be, let's say, general. What's your process of narrowing down what you want? <laughs> I gotcha. Um, okay, so your question has two parts. First of all is, um, how do I go about narrowing down like what it is that I want and then what's the other part? The first one is uh, about narrowing down what you want and the second one was more about let's say once you've done it like acting upon it. Okay um so narrowing down what I want so I was lucky in the sense that um ever since I was young I was always put in decision making position um so with my dad's hotel and my mom's dental offices I was always put in kind of a position where I was in charge of my life um, and where like I should go. So when you're young and you're put in like those kind of positions where you have to like make decisions, right? You become very good at it. Your instinct becomes very good at it. And then over time, 
you come to realize that you can trust those instincts. Um, so when it comes to narrowing down what I want, um, I think my process has changed over the years, right? I think when I was younger, the process of narrowing down what I want has been more about what will my family be happy with? What will society be happy with? But now at my age, um, I don't know why I just said that. That makes me sound so old. Um, <laughs> You're not old. Uh, I am old. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, but now I think whenever I think about what it is that I want, I think about what gives me true happiness, right? Um, and I have learned a lot over the past years. And I think people, um, everybody has a different definition of what happiness is. But what happiness actually means is it's something that really makes you happy regardless of what society tells you should make you happy, you know? So I really try to spend time with myself and um, like decide like, okay, like I have a couple options I could choose from. What is the one thing that would make me so happy? And it would also be sustainable in the long term. I guess that's also something else that I look at too. Like, yes, like true happiness um, in the moment, but it also needs to be sustainable. Um, so that's the two biggest factors that I look into and I would say that it has worked out quite well for me Because I think when you take away all the noise, right? And when I say the noise, it means what you think society would want from you and what you think Your parents would want you to do when you take away those two things The choices that you make are the choices that would actually give you happiness um, I think coming from an Asian background, I have a lot of Asian friends who I know have gone into different careers because they think that that's what would make them happy because that's what society thinks that they should do or that they think it would make their family happy and it's their family obligation, right? Which, again, I think that's very admirable and I think it's a huge burden to bear and it's a huge responsibility and I think it's really great that they're doing it. But I think when you don't consider the self, like yourself enough, then you will end up getting burnt out and what you think will make you happy in the long run it wouldn't you know massively and I love that phrase sustainable uh-huh. where it's very easy to look at a decision and go oh yeah but straight away I might get this bonus or straight away I might get this like uh-huh. sign of approval this title yes. but in the long term or even medium term you know that could easily fade out for like, sure for it's sure it's very easy to seek like say the, say the instant gratification mm-hmm. rather than the sustainable unspectacular progress that will come as a result of it right and there are two things you mentioned one was non-negotiables mm-hmm. like things that you will look at and say right i can't compromise on this mm-hmm. this is it you mentioned or alluded to the meeting your parents regularly yes for sure is there anything else that isn't like your non-negotiables um i feel like <laughs> i feel like there's a lot of things in my life that i consider is non-negotiable <laughs> um yeah i would say that my family is a really big one um my parents are very important people in my life and so is my younger brother and it is a priority for me to be able to see them as often as possible um the other end of it um is probably my like the agency that i have over my life like i want control over my life like um i want to to live my life the way that i want to live which sounds so corny because it's it sounds like one of those like Pinterest board that you see it and does. you're like you share on your Instagram story and everyone's like hearting it, you know. Um, but I think for me, being able to live life the wa- the way that I want to live, it means having room to rest when I'm sick. Having um, it means having space to cook delicious meals that are also nourishing. 
It means being able to see the world. It means being able to travel. It means being able to experience different cultures. It means being able to meet other people like yourself from different corners of the world. That if I had chosen a more traditional lifestyle, I probably would never have gone to meet, or I never have been able to like come here and like mm. have this conversation, right? Um, so having the ability to pick what it is that I do and do what it is that I want, I think that's. Very important to me. That's a non-negotiable. And whichever route that I take, whichever areas of my life I'm trying to make a decision in, that's what it comes back to. Excellent. Always. Mm. I think, yeah. to be honest with you, this concept of taking complete ownership of one's life uh-huh. does again get that whole Instagram kind of like uh, thing. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. But there's a reason why, because ultimately, I think that autonomy is what we really crave. Yes. Where I've spoken and I've been in so many times traditional careers. Mm-hmm. And you notice the lack of autonomy in certain senses and think, oh, well, this is maybe like the key is in the salary's fine. Mm-hmm. The, let's say the job itself is okay, but the lack of autonomy is a real stickling point. Yes. Yeah. Which is why I'm wondering how it's balanced for you, let's say. Um, it's an area that I did want to discuss with you about mm-hmm. how you managed to balance a lifestyle of working remotely of, because, and traveling and doing all of these things. Mm-hmm. But I do want to focus on how great that is, of course, like mm-hmm. the autonomy. But you do have to work hard to get it. Like, oh, it, it doesn't just come 100%. like that, right? Yes, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah. no, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very easy to see like the Instagram shot. Yes. And very easy to see the sunset and the cocktails, but it's like, <laughs> it's like that happened, right? That didn't just happen out of nowhere. Like, yes, there was no, a process until that. There were small steps. Yes, yeah. so, 100%. Do you mind telling me more about how like that happened? Yeah, right? Your of process. Um, yeah, I think it's really good that we're touching upon that because um, to get to where I am, I've had to work so hard, right? Like my entire life. Um, perhaps the destination is different than where I thought I would end up when I was younger, but the hard work that I've had to put into is what afforded me this lifestyle. Um, And like you said, a lot of times on Instagram, you see the highlight reels and you're like, oh, their life is so easy, or like they get their money from their parents or whatever, which is not, you know, not really true. Like I've had to put in a lot of work. So then going back to my childhood, um, like how I've touched upon before, I've always had to study a lot. And yes, I have been very privileged in the sense that my parents had the financial means to hire tutors um, to teach me and I would have multiple different tutors for different subjects, right? I would have like math tutors, a science tutor, um, like a, an English tutor, um, aside of going to school from um, 6.30 a.m. to like 5 p.m., right? So I would go to those tutors after school. And so it's, you know, maybe at least 12 hours per day of studying. Um, and I was maybe five, six, seven years old when this process started. So I've always had to work very hard. Um, and my parents have always, uh, if you know what the term tiger mom means, it means like somebody that puts a lot of expectations on their kids. Um, tiger moms usually mean somebody that's like kind of mean as well. My parents are not mean, but there are a lot of expectations. And so I have always had to work hard to meet them, right? They have always wanted me to be at either the very first in my class or like the top three percent and I always had to meet those expectations and so um, that was life from the age of I don't know as long as I can remember as early as I can remember until when I was 15 when I moved over to the US and when I moved over to the US the challenges then was different because there's less of a pressure to perform super well in school like I still had to perform very well but it's not like top like three percent but the pressure now is learning a new culture and learning English right Um, which is difficult in its own way because 
you know, you have to navigate all the different nuances of a new society. Um, you're in class, you're listening to your professor talking, you can't really understand what's happening. You don't really know what she's talking about because you can't follow along with the language. And so it's a lot of learning and adapting and immersing myself in the culture and in the language in order to be able to succeed as an immigrant. Um, so there's a lot of hard work that was put in there as well. Um, fast forwarding to dental school, right? Like I wanted to become an orthodontist like my mom. She's an orthodontist in Vietnam. And that process in the US, it's four years of university, four more years of dental school, and then three more years of orthodontia, like specialty training. Um, so that's about four, four, three. That's about 11 years in total. Wow. Um, and the amount of money that you would have to spend is probably around like 700 to $800,000. So it's a lot of um, money that you have to put in to get out of it. Um, but the whole process of even getting it in the first place is difficult because they require you to have at least 150 hours of uh, shadowing different dental like professionals and 150 hours of volunteering. Um, so you have to do that on top of going to classes like organic chemistry and like biochem and getting A's in it because if you don't get A's, you can't really get into dental school. Um, so it's a lot of hard work, a lot of all-nighters. Um, I was also working. I was working um, ever since the age of 15. I was working um, at my aunt's spa. Um, so yeah, I was working like 12 hours per day, like seven days per week. 12 hours per day, seven days per week during the summertime and during winter break. Um, and then during the school year, I would work uh, three days per week, eight hours per day. And so imagine you just go to school during college and then the three days that you have off, you just go to work and then after work, you try to like get your um, study in, you know? So it, it was quite intense. hard. <laughs> yeah, it was very, very intense um, trying to balance it all. And yeah, I think the whole point of it though is that it trained me to be somebody who could study very well uh, somebody who could perform well under pressure, which are both things that were necessary and were very beneficial for when I transitioned from being um, in dental school over to software engineering, because that's a massive switch, you know, like yeah. um, it's two different fields uh, requiring different skill sets, different ways of thinking. And the only reason why I was able to successfully make the transition was because I've always worked extremely hard my entire life and having the skill sets that are needed to study and to learn and to adapt um, so that I can make the transition um, a success. Absolutely. Yeah. And about this transition, because you've obviously gone through this, let's say, intense schedule where, during dental school where you've learned a lot and you've had to, I suppose, adapt to a few different things. Uh -huh. Let's say moving to a new culture, the studying, the working, the balance, what do you want to do? So when you make that decision then to go from dental school to mm -hmm. software engineering, What's going through your head? Is me thinking, right, I know this is right, but fuck, like this might be big. Like, what, what's kind of going through your mind in terms of the doubts or any fears? Yeah, for sure. So I think, I think something that I keep on thinking about is, am I having commitment issues? <laughs> I'm like, am I just having trouble committing to dentistry? Like, what is happening here? Because the school, the dental school that I got into in the US, right? was a very good school. Um, it's a school that all my friends wanted to get into. Um, a lot of people couldn't get into it because, you know, like each school only has a small population of students that they take each year. And so never mind getting into dental school, getting into a good dental school and then turning it down. Um, I was thinking to myself, I was like, wow, you're crazy. Like, are you crazy? What is going on here? Um, 
so it was it was a lot of self-doubt and it was a lot of like am I just getting cold feet am I just thinking that I can't handle the pressure do I just not think that I can succeed is that why I'm like trying to back out earlier to like save myself from failure right um and so I think that's a lot of what I was thinking of and then there's on the other side, I was also thinking, what if I don't succeed in software engineering? Because when I, when I made this decision, I have never coded a single thing in my life. I don't even know what software, I did not even know what software engineering was. Um, and people were telling me like, oh yeah, there are languages like JavaScript and Python. And in my head, I'm like, what does that mean? Like, <laughs> what does that mean in terms of coding? So it was a lot of like, wow, I am crazy. I must be getting cold feet because I'm worried about committing to dentistry and then also what if I don't succeed in software engineering I'm turning down a once-in-a-lifetime chance to become an orthodontist I am choosing a route that I know absolutely nothing about um, so it's a lot of like fear and self-doubt I guess I can imagine yeah. what, what I'm really interested in there is we've touched upon like the dental thing and how uh -huh. that can be let's say daunting turning down but also going into a new field that you don't know anything about yeah where you're hearing words like JavaScript and thinking what is that like mm -hmm. why did you actually choose software engineering if I may ask you like if you don't for know sure. what it for was. sure um, so in the crowd that I hang out with uh, in the US there are a lot of software engineers um, so in the US I run um, a group called the Young Professionals of St. Louis. St. Louis is the area where I live in, um, and I'm one of the admin for the group, and it's, it's a really big group. We have about 13,000 members now. And so uh, in the group, we have a lot of transplants, meaning people that like move to our area and then working remote, and so that also means software engineers. Um, so one of my really close guy friends, um, he's a full stack um, engineer, um, and he was with me in Bali when I made the decision to like change, you know, and he was telling me like, oh, if dentistry is not what you want to do and you love traveling, why don't you become a full stack engineer like me? And so that's when I started having all of these conversations with him and other people about what software engineering is and how that could fit into my lifestyle what sort of skill sets are needed and obviously doing a lot of research on my own like googling and watching youtube videos um but yeah that's that's how i arrived at software engineering it's because of my friends yes there sure. was um there was him um my best guy friend and then my best girlfriend at the time was somebody um she is a dentist but she's also a software engineer and she also helped inform my decision of moving away from dentistry and moving towards software engineering because her as a dentist and software engineer she said she wished she had never gone into dentistry um and that she you know she yeah she said i should not do that as well i see yeah and so i think that really helped um inform me where i should go next when when did you begin software engineering is this about two years ago or longer no it's actually very recent oh, really? um, i didn't start at my first official software engineering job until April of this past year. So that's, mm, is that 10 months ago? Nine months. Nine months wow. ago, yes. Okay, it's yeah. Very, very recent thing. Definitely. Yeah. I'm, am I correct to ask this, that you're still learning on the job or? Yes, for sure. Um, so I think one thing about software engineering that is different from other jobs is that you're always, always having to learn. Um, new technologies come out every day 
or maybe not every day, but very often. Very, very regularly. Yeah. yeah sure. uh-huh. <laughs> and then um, the current technology that you use would get updates, and when they get updates, you need to like learn what the updates are and how to use them. Uh, the position that I currently hold at my job, um, it's on a team where my boss calls us like the white collar engineers, where we're always trying to find new ways and new technologies to reinvent and to do things and to reinvent like the pro- the old processes in our current company. Um, and so what that means is you're taking technology that's about maybe six months old and trying to learn what it is about and trying to build on top of it, which as you might imagine, it's quite difficult because I think even the engineers that built the technology, they don't even know what it's about. Yeah, and so <laughs> Yes, and so I would be trying to code something and I'd be looking up like, oh, how to do this thing using this technology. And then the only thing that would pop up on YouTube is talking about what the technology is and how it works and not how to debug or how to use it to like code something. Yeah, so yeah, I can imagine like the challenge in that area where you're seeing everything and thinking, right, which area do I actually work on here? Yeah. And how does it actually work? It leads me on to, I suppose, the travel life balance that uh-huh. I'm wondering about. Sorry, excuse me, the work travel balance. Mm-hmm. Because again, obviously, a huge benefit of this is you have so much autonomy. You yes. can go to Vietnam, you can go to Bali, you can go to all these places. Yes. But you still have to work. Like I think that that's the whole, let's say, remote work thing that gets misunderstood, Mm -hmm. where if you're new to the concept, you look and think, oh, it'd be amazing to just go wherever I want, whenever. But if you still have to work and travel, like I've done it myself, it's quite tiring. Mm -hmm. Like going from place to place and knowing that you still have a deadline to meet, even though you're on a five hour flight or you still have to do this project, like there's still commitments with this lifestyle, right? For sure, yes. I don't think it is as quite as, well, certainly not as easy mm-hmm. or as, let's say, glamorous as it's made out to be. Yes. So there's obviously benefits, but there's mm-hmm. also, like, let's say, downsides. Mm-hmm. Do you mind telling me a bit more about how you balance it? Let's say the good, the bad, how you manage to stay on top of your work and also explore the world? Like, <laughs> how does it all work for you? For sure. Um, so I think for me, I think slow travel is definitely the way to go. Um, I've definitely done a lot of backpacking trips where it's like 11 days and I'm hopping between like different places. When it comes down to working while traveling, though, um, I try to stay in each place at least three months at a, at the time at a time, so that uh, first of all I have time to acclimate to the time change. Right, like you're essentially working out of a different time zone, so your body needs time to adjust. You need time to change up your routine, and so the longer time you spend in an area, the easier and the less stressful it is for you to do that. Um, so take Hawaii for example, right? Um, I'm working from Hawaii, um, and my work. Uh, when I work out of St. Louis, I would my work would start at nine a.m. But in Hawaii, um, during the summer months, it would start at four a.m. And during the winter months, after the time change in the U.S., it would start at five a.m. So what that means is uh, I would need to get up really early for that, obviously. But I would need to go to bed really early as well. So that means going to bed at like 8.30, which I don't know about you, but I have a really hard time doing yeah, that. Yeah, I can have an issue And <laughs> so it takes a lot of discipline to go to bed early, to get up early, and to still make sure that you get proper sleep. So like if you're going to bed early, but you can't sleep well, and the next day you have to get up early, then obviously you're just like sleeping and tired the next day. So you need to have the discipline to not take a nap. Because if you were to take a nap during the day, then you definitely cannot sleep at night. And then that whole cycle just repeats. And sure. it gets yeah. really, really tiring. Um, so it's about having discipline to make sure that you do what's needed to keep this lifestyle going and to make sure that 
a lifestyle is not hard on you. Um, and then, sorry, what's the other part of the question? My, my main part was how you managed to balance, let's say, the work and the travel, yes. which, you, which you are alluding to, like working, the traveling. Mm-hmm. And I'm also, I suppose, as this is cropping up, wondering about unexpected issues. Like, uh-huh. of course, like the internet won't always be perfect, so you'd have to make sure in advance that that's sorted, mm-hmm. or whether the place is appropriate for you or not. What if you decide, oh, I don't like Bali, for example, and then want to move to say Thailand, like how, how do, when, because issues crop up in all areas of life, yes, right? Yes, for sure. So when something unexpectedly crops up, like how do you deal with it? For sure. Um, so then to finish out your first question, um, the way that I balance out work and travel is that I try to stay in each new place that I arrive at for a long period of time, you know, three to six months. That gives me time to really get to know the area, that gives me time to form a routine so that it really brings down the stress so that you're not as tired. Um, so that's like the part of, you know, all of that. And to deal with unexpected issues that arrive, it comes down to, I guess, really heavy preparation, um, knowing myself, knowing what I need. Uh, to deal with like the Wi-Fi issue, I would always request that whichever landlord it is that I'd be renting with to do like a speed test of the Wi-Fi, you know, and like I would re-emphasize with them multiple times like, hey, it's really, really important that I were to have solid Wi-Fi, X, Y, Z. Like, can you please check to make sure, like, and I show them how to run the speed test. It's very interesting because a lot of these landlords in these areas, you know, they're like older gentlemen who don't really know the, um, who, don't, who is not too familiar with how to work a phone so then I would have to send them like a screen recording video and say like hey you go here you, you type this in and then that's how you're gonna pull up like the Google speed test test out the Wi-Fi um, I think to deal with um, you know unexpected situations I think having a solid amount of money saved up is very very important because you know what if you were to rent a car and then your car get towed and you need the money to get it back or like what if you unexpectedly um, need to fix something in your place and your landlord would not cover it or like what if you lose your phone while you're traveling and you need to get a new phone and that's like a thousand dollars so I think it's really important to have uh, like an emergency savings but also to have expenses of at least three months saved up mm-hmm. um, of the rent of whichever areas that you're living in plus like food money and like transportations I think having that little cushion is going to really help you out when something unexpected comes up I'm wondering actually about that that last point because obviously this whole lifestyle is mainly about let's say autonomy and not necessarily the finances uh-huh. but of course you do need the finances in order to support yes, it right yes. and I'm wondering for those let's say who are unfamiliar with the lifestyle who weren't considering it and we've mentioned three months like is it do you think of course like the sooner the better but I'm wondering in terms of let's say a time frame of when you should begin let's say saving or at least planning for your lifestyle in terms of getting this emergency fund set up or making some investments to make sure you will be in a place in case it's an emergency what would you also recommend let's say time frame is six months longer of course as soon as possible Mm -hmm. but is there any let's say certain specific time frame that you think yeah that's probably advisable let's say um time frame for what exactly for For the preparation or for how long they should stay in an area i'd say for preparation so preparation for what's going on for sure um so i think it's it's less about how much time but it's more about what you can do during that time right so I like to work backwards so I look at what my goals are and then I work backwards from there so let's say that somebody wants to move to Vietnam per se right Um, I would recommend that they look at housing here see how much the apartment that they want to stay in would cost um, how much 
uh, like food would cost, how much transportation would cost, if they want to rent a bike, how much would that be per month, um, or like how much grab money would be for them to move from one place to the other. So then they would calculate that out, they would maybe add in extra money for like emergency savings and whatnot, and then they would start savings according to that. So I would work backwards, I would look at what their goals are, um, how much money they would need, I would add extra onto that, and then I would look at my current work, my current income, how much could I save per month, and then divide it up to see how much money and how much time I would need to save, and then I would go from there. It's not saying, oh, six months from now, I'm going to go here. It's more about, okay, I want to go to, say, Vietnam or Bali or Thailand. How much money will I need? How much emergency savings will I need? And then how much do I currently make, and what could I put away to make that amount of money in what amount of time, you know? So it's working sure. backwards instead of working forward. And I think by doing that, you're preparing much better. I see what you mean. Yeah. yeah. I think that's definitely something to touch upon in terms of like how to especially work backwards, uh-huh. like actually put yourself in a situation mm-hmm. where it's very easy to look at something and go, yeah, I could do this, like, and just go. And it's like, yeah. well, why don't you work backwards, see what could go wrong, because things will go wrong. Yes. Work out what's most likely and how you will deal with it if it comes up. Mm-hmm. And having that preparation, I think, is the key word, just yes. to keep you like going with it. 100%. Yeah. I'm also wondering about, let's say, the discipline aspect, where you mentioned things like time zones, uh-huh. and having to like work with that, and having to constantly be on your game. And I'm wondering, I mentioned the phrase earlier, of like, work hard, play hard, yes. which I really like. like I, love the, <laughs> I, I love the idea of hard work, but also really having fun, as in yes. we're both in our 20s, so therefore, you know, fun should be certainly something we should emphasize, 100%. as well as the hard work. Mm-hmm. You personally, how do you manage, let's say, the work aspect, where obviously you're disciplined, you've worked hard, and you have that work ethic, instilled from your childhood, Mm -hmm. but you also like to enjoy yourself. Yes. How how, how do you manage to navigate the two? Um, I think, so in terms of working hard, right, um, it's about putting yourself in a space where you can perform the best you could. Um, I think a lot of the nomads I've met, um, I feel that sometimes it's hard for them to really focus on work because of the new environment that they're in, or maybe they're not putting enough emphasis on maintaining themselves and what I mean by that is there are certain things that you can do to make sure that you're happy that you're emotionally sound that your body is well and your body's healthy and you have energy right so two things that are really important in regards to that is obviously exercise so exercise I guess three things actually so there's exercise eating well and getting enough sunlight so um, exercise if you were to exercise like I try to work out four to five times per week and then I try to walk aside from that as well so the more exercise that you get the more blood flow that you get and so the more awake and healthier your body becomes it also helps you feel good about your body and by extension yourself and so when you feel good about yourself you're going to feel a lot more motivated to do stuff and then eating right right like it's not about cutting out carbs or cutting out sugar it's about having a well-balanced diet and having a well-balanced diet is having good like nourishing like food and it means that you're feeding your body what it needs to like function well um so i think a lot of times like nomads don't focus enough on those two things um and i would say that without those two things you cannot succeed i'd agree yes i really would agree um so you really need good nutrition you really need to exercise and you also need good sunlight so i think a lot of times people don't realize the effects the sun have on you and your mood and your sleep cycle your circadian rhythm is set by the sun so you should um, 
by whatever means like get enough sunlight in before your midday and as the sun is setting because um, whenever you're doing that you're essentially telling your body hey my body's awake right now when you're getting sun in like early in the morning and then also at the end of the day when you're getting sunlight in towards the end of the day you're telling your body okay it's time to shut down until so your body would start to form those habits and so your body starts to know okay this is when we wake up this is when we're about to go to bed and so it would vastly improve your sleep um your sleep quality and so when you sleep well you're exercising well you're eating well you are going to be able to work a lot harder like your brain your mind is going to be a lot clearer for you to perform and to like do well at your job so that's the part about working hard right you need to do all the preparation that's needed aside from obviously like putting the time into work you need to do the preparation so that you can put the time in um, at work um, in terms of playing hard i've always really loved um i've always loved doing everything right like i have like i said before i have a strong thirst for life and so um i i want to do everything whether that is like surfing or like free diving which those two things come to mind because currently I'm in Hawaii, right? If I were to move elsewhere, maybe I'd change into something else. But, you know, like those things and like catching the sunsets or sunrise and catching a cocktail with friends, going out dancing. Those are things that I love to do that I make sure I do very frequently, not just because, you know, it's fun and that makes me happy, but also it's because those are the things that keeps anybody like motivated to keep on going. That's how you keep from burning out. That's how you keep from feeling like life is worthless that's how you keep from you know like wanting to give up like that is how i stay motivated that's how i stay happy and going after my goals it's about having that balance massively i think it's so important where i've seen a lot of let's say hustle porn of no you must work this amount of time you have to do this this is the whole thing yes whereas they'll neglect obviously let's say the life simple basics like catching yes. a sunset with friends right mm. and the, the two but you do too much of that you know mm. you're ignoring that bit yeah so, you know, <laughs> the nice balance is key and it leads me on to like the the idea of making friendships abroad or mm -hmm. when you're traveling like you've obviously helped me a couple of times in meeting people <laughs> abroad i know you've done it yourself yes. meeting people in vietnam bali thailand wherever right yes how do you let's say manage that because obviously it's transient like you'll know you'll only be here for three months and you mm -hmm. might come back later or you might go to here like how do you i suppose manage like let's say your relationships in terms of a friendship circle like how for does sure. that work in the remote remote nomad world <laughs> for sure um so i think i've always been lucky in the sense I've always met the best people you know everybody I've met including yourself have been very nice and open and they've been an addition to my life um, yes like we might move away but I think that that applies to any friends that you meet right like um, unless you were to stay in your hometown for the rest of your life which I feel like that's not what a lot of us choose to do maybe that is a, what a lot of us choose to do um, we certainly didn't <laughs> we certainly <laughs> yeah. did it um, like your friends come into and out of your life like they always do and they always will but I don't think that there's anything bad about it because you're meeting new people you're learning things you never would have until you've met them you know like say when I was solo traveling in Thailand I met these girls from England and they were telling me about like different like crime issues like knife issues from England and I was just sitting there listening to them and I was like what I've never even heard of this or about their healthcare system and about how it's extremely hard for them to go in to see like a provider, right? So like these are just examples of things I never would have known until I actually like meet these girls and they told me about it. And you know, these girls in particular, I'm so in touch with them. Uh, two of them in particular are always like 
you have to let me know whenever you come. You can stay with me, or I'll show you around. And that's the thing about friends that you meet while traveling. They're all very open-minded, and so the chances of you meeting them again is quite high. You know, it's not if I were to fly out of here, we're never gonna see one another again. I don't believe in that. I think life is long. Then you never know where you're gonna end up. So many unexpected things are going to happen, and so it's making the friendship as you normally would, right? It's showing up as yourself, becoming interested in other people, learning about them, and then keeping up with that connection even after you leave.、Um, and I think that's how I've always treated all my friends I've made abroad, and I've benefited a lot from it. You know, like you and I, we met like you said a year ago. It was a year ago, yeah,、yes. just before I went to Korea. Yes, yeah,、um, yeah. like a year ago, and. I mean, whenever we met, we wasn't thinking like, "Oh, will we ever meet again?" But here we are. Yeah, no, exactly. A year later, you know,、yeah. you never know where life is going to take you. And so, what I like about that is,、uh, there's just so much potential. You know, anything could happen, and I just think that that's so like fun. Massively, no, I completely agree. Where, for example, you can meet someone once, like we did a year ago, right?、Uh-huh. And after that, I'm not thinking, "Will I meet you again?" Blah blah. I just don't know, right? right? Yeah, yeah. But obviously, we got on very well, stayed、mm-hmm. in touch, and as I mentioned, you helped me out a couple of times, and then. I didn't actually plan on coming back to Vietnam, but here I am. Yeah, you never like, know.、Oh, yeah. That's a whole different story. But I like that idea that even if you are in your hometown, right, you still might not see your friends for like a year or so. Because I've stayed in contact with friends from my hometown, right,、mm-hmm. and they won't see their friends because they have kids or because they have started their own business. So just because of let's say location, it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll see them. Right. If that makes sense. So ha- sure. having that, I suppose, balance is really key.、Mm-hmm. I'm wondering. Just wrapping up or coming towards the end of the show's ethos, which is、mm-hmm. building blocks success on your own terms.、Uh-huh. Because on the previous podcast I did, comeback, I kept asking about success, and I kept getting so many different phrases. So I thought, right, what actually is success? And I came to the conclusion, and I might be wrong on this,、uh-huh. that it's subjective. That if my success is this, someone else's success is this, they have to decide for themselves. Yes. So on your own terms, Peyton、mm-hmm. or Fung, what is success?、Um, I think success. Is how I've always made all my decisions upon, you know.、Um, so, like I said before, success is narrowing down what it is that you want, what truly makes you happy, and then also what is sustainable in the long term, and then work to achieve that. That's what success means, and that could mean so many different things for different people, right?、Um, for a few of my friends, that could mean. Having a family, having like children, having a loving husband, so that's what success means to them. That's what matters to them. That's what's sustainable to them. So that's what they go after. But for me, what's what makes me happy is being able to experience as many things as possible while still keeping in touch with all my loved ones and being able to see my loved ones, including friends as well. You know, because traveling also allows me to see my friends whenever I want.、Um, like that is what what I want to do, and that is what is sustainable. So. As long as I can achieve that, I would consider that a success. Excellent. I love that whole balance of kind of knowing what your priorities are, the、uh-huh. negotiables,、yes. working towards them, and again making decisions on it. Where I like the autonomy and the responsibility aspect. That、mm-hmm. I firmly believe this now. Nobody will save you from your issues. No one will change、yes. your life for you. You、mm-hmm. are the chief architect, and by making、yeah. those decisions, you ultimately get there. Yes. Yeah. I've really enjoyed this, Peyton.、Um, yeah. Any final thoughts that you'd like to add? Anything you'd like to add on a plug or anything that's in, in your <laughs> mind that you'd like to share? Um. Well, I think the biggest thing is that don't let fear stop you. Like it sounds again like another Pinterest like saying, but I think it's true.、Um, so something I didn't share earlier was that 
a big like transformative event for me was that my grandma my grandmother getting really sick and her landing in the hospital and me having to take care of her as like a 19 year old you know mm. she was so sick that she couldn't like turn on her bed she couldn't like eat by herself she couldn't wipe down her own butt and so i think me as a 19 20 year old like taking care of her in the hospital i think that's like the closest i've ever gone to death right sure. like she's recovered now obviously but um the point is we're all going to die someday and it sounds morbid but it's true and so when you lay down on your deathbed like are you going to think you've lived your life the way you wanted to have you explored all your potential have you lived up to your true potential have you done all the things you wanted to do you know and so a lot of the reasons why people don't chase after their dreams or like they don't go talk to that guy or they don't do this or that it's because of fear um but i would say that don't let fear stop you because if you do then you will never know where you can end up and you will never know what your true potential could be and i think that there's nothing sadder than wasted potential so completely agree i'm just thinking of examples there of when i've had fear in front of me uh -huh. and then i've just like done something mm -hmm. done something so small i'll uh -huh. use an example i used to think that i was the worst person in the world to talk to people i had this firm firm belief about three uh -huh. years ago i thought i was dreadful and then uh -huh. I thought, but I wanted to start a podcast. Well, yeah. Obviously, those two are conflicting, aren't they? Then I thought, right, you know what? I'll just try one. Yeah. Did one. I thought, that wasn't that bad. Like, yeah. I wasn't perfect. Let me do another. <laughs> I did another and another. And now I've got quite a lot of reference points to know that I'm certainly nowhere near as bad as I was. Yes, so you're definitely not. Yeah, and it's the same with other things, right? I look at other areas. I'm sure you're the same and many others where initially the fear is so overwhelming. But mm -hmm. the small steps, which is why I've called the show the slogan, is yes. the key where you just go, one little step at a time and then suddenly building blocks building blocks exactly building blocks <laughs> yeah and then 360 steps later here you are yes 100 <laughs> yeah. percent. yeah it's thank all about the small steps massively thank you very much i've really enjoyed it and i wish you all the very best with your future in vietnam hawaii wherever else you go thank uh -huh. you thank you thanks for having me definitely enjoyed it